It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given. It is myself, Toby Tarrant. It is Daniel Norcross and it is the recently retired Mr. Stephen Finn, who is currently, I have to tilt my head to look at him, currently lying horizontally on his sofa. And he told us, bear in mind we're recording at 6pm. He was having a nap and set an alarm to wake up to record this episode and he looks still half asleep. Still enjoying that uh, retirement lifestyle, Finny? Yeah, it's hit me like a bit of a train this week, to be quite honest. I said um, yes to a lot of things and had a lot of people wanting to celebrate with me and stuff. So, yeah, we had a few crackers over the weekend whilst covering cricket and it's finally caught up with me. I'm not yet ill. I don't have that like post week on the piss illness yet, but it feels like it's on the cusp of it. So I'm just trying my best to rest and recuperate i'll tell you what i did do today though actually now that i can i went and bought the strongest cbd that i could from <laughs> holland and barrett <laughs> and um i'm gonna have my first legal high i think so yeah i'll let you know how that one goes oh well, what'll, be, what'll be great about that is i think you'll find that all the pains that you have in your body will just dissipate and suddenly you'll knit down a net at about two o'clock in the morning and you'll come lively in bowling <laughs> wheels bowling 90 miles an hour at nobody there in your blissed out state as you're completely pain-free and then you'll think maybe i should come back well i presume there's no drugs tests in these masters leagues and stuff that could be the way forward there you go you yeah. imagine, if you're, imagine if you're bowling 92 <laughs> miles an hour in the masters league at some you can't sport. have a drugs test in the masters league well, I mean, yeah, they sure they surely can't have a drugs test in the Masters League. No, that would, that would be, there'd be crazy. There'd, there'd be no players left. I don't think <laughs> a load of old boys making up for lost time. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're experiencing all these. You know, you burst onto the scene very young, Finny. You you missed out on a lot of things that uh, you know scumbags like me and Norcross and failed sportsmen like me and Norcross got to do that you know yeah. we take for granted. So registered for Glastonbury tickets. Oh yes, iron up other bits and bobs. Yeah, it's um. I mean, re recreational drugs still aren't on my radar. I'm still trying to get my highs from Holland and Barrett, but, you know, <laughs> give me time. 
Yeah. Well, well Finney, I look forward to seeing you in Bogota in around three or four months' time. <laughs> yeah. Well, Finney, if you do get Glastonbury tickets, I will uh, I will take you to the dark underbelly of Glastonbury and show you the ropes. You, you couldn't like have fun. a better tour guide for your first Glastonbury than me, so don't you worry. We'll look, we'll look after you, Finney. Now, it's uh, unlike the last few weeks where somehow we've scrabbled together a podcast. Thank God Finney retired because otherwise there was nothing else to talk about really in the cricketing world. Uh, but we've got quite a busy week this week with... The culmination of the 100. You two may have noticed that I'm a Fairweather fan. I'm wearing my Oval Invincibles uh, shirt today. Now Yay. that I'm... Cut me Till open. I die. Till cut, I die, Oval yeah. Invincibles. Cut me open. I bleed this hideous shade of green that they wore in the first season of the 100. We've also got England are back. Yeah, remember them? Remember the national team that used to play cricket during August? Well, those guys are back playing some cricket at long, long last as well. And there's a wonderful Johnny Bairstow story that we need to discuss as well. And I'm trying to work out the best order. Do you know what? Let's do Bairstow because it's so funny. So, Finney, you had told us this story off air a few weeks back. And uh, you'd heard the story, but the Australian cricket team have been talking about it quite publicly uh, down in Australia. So after that fateful day at Lords, where Alex Carey controversially run out Johnny Bairstow at the end of an over, the rumour goes, well, it's been confirmed now, the story goes that at lunch at Lord's that day, the Sky coverage was on the TV in the corner and apparently the team at Sky knew that Bearstow was in the lunchroom with all the Australians, so they thought, this will be really funny, let's just play Bearstow's dismissal on a loop. See, apparently, according to Kawaja, everyone else in the room was eating apart from Johnny Bearstow, who didn't have a morsel of food in front of him and he was getting gradually redder and steam was gradually coming out of his ears until eventually he snapped and he stood up and he pointed at the coverage on the TV and he said to all the Australians, are you happy with that? And who else? David Warner apparently looked up and said, yeah, we are actually, mate. <laughs> at which point Johnny Bairstow became even more furious. Uh, the Australians were having a laugh and apparently quite a few of the English boys were were having a laugh. <laughs> There's a couple of things Um that, that I need to talk about about that story. The first one is Finney, and you know him very, very well. I've only met him a few times, but I've heard so many stories over the year. That is the most Johnny Bairstow story I've ever heard in a long line of Johnny Bairstow stories, isn't it? Yeah, he's um he's a fiery character, Johnny, when he gets um when he gets riled up and emotions would have been high. And the Lord's lunchroom is an awkward place anyway when there's been confrontation on the pitch because it's so small and intimate and you have to walk past the other team to get to your table and you're both going for the same soup and you have to wait for the other team to get their soup and stuff like that so it's proper um, village then this is how we, this is how we normally do it on a Saturday or Sunday <laughs> yeah. well there's a yeah there's a big lovely bowl what would you call it it's like a heated up bowl of um of soup homemade soup and yeah you you have to take it in turns to use the ladle to to give yourself more into your bowl so yeah, the it would have been an awkward scenario, and and yeah, given that emotions would have been so high, I can imagine Johnny reacting like that. Yes. <laughs> now I didn't realise that Scott, because I see it in the changing room sometimes. You can see through the windows in the changing room, and they've always got the sky coverage in the background. I didn't realise they also played it in the lunch hall at Lords, and. Um, I'm a little bit surprised by that. Is it muted? Because do you really need in the middle of a, t a tense, close test match to hear Atherton and Asa Hussain telling you that you're batting crap or you're bowling crap or you shouldn't have dropped that catch? Is that useful? Mm, it's always muted. Always, always muted. 
some guys like watching it like i would i would rarely watch the game live i'd be lying down on the dressing room floor watching it on the tv and usually there's like a, a three or four second delay so you can hear what's happening and then it happens on the tv so if ever there's a wicket and you hear the noise of the wicket and then you wait three or four seconds and then watch it on the tv in anticipation but yeah it's never you never ever have the sound on but yeah you can see them picking apart your technique especially a batter if he's just got out and he sat there in the dressing room and you look up and they're putting stills and screenshots of like you side by side and how your techniques got worse or something and <laughs> and you've just got to sit there and watch it in the dressing room it can be quite awkward well, Johnny Bairstow is the most bold man at Lords, isn't he? I think there, there was a mad stat he'd like been bowled about nine times or something at Lords, and in the first Basball test he got bowled, and Sky just basically did a kind of montage of him being bowled to show why he gets bowled. It's like if you just come in having been bowled, it's bad enough to be bowled once that day without watching all the other times you've been bowled. <laughs> Some guys would turn it off as well. Some guys would get the remote and just turn them all off because they'd be so angry. They'd say, I don't want to watch that and turn it off. I was going um, to ask that. Have you ever seen anybody turn it off? Or have you ever seen a batsman get out and go, fuck this, and just gone and turned it off yourself? Save save yourself the hassle. Yeah, sometimes. Well, you have to gauge. Like When you play with people for a long time, you actually end up gauging what their reactions are. So some people it's worth staying in the dressing room to see the blow up because it's quite entertaining. Um, <laughs> sometimes you scarper because you don't want to get caught by flying objects. And then some people are just super chilled and relaxed or even funny after they've got out. I've heard guys walk in and say, Oh, got a good one there. And they got caught deep mid wicket or something. So it's a, <laughs> there's a whole range of, um, of reactions. Did, were you in the change room when Matt Pryor, and yes. it was really unlucky because, I mean, you'll remember the uh, statement that was put out. And actually, it became a kind of detective work. It's a little bit like how did the shooter manage to kill John F. Kennedy from the grassy knoll? Because the story was something like he came in and casually tossed his glove, which then knocked a, a bat, which then knocked something else, which then whacked onto a glass and then uh, <laughs> or, or broke the window. And it was like, because, of course, there's no way that Matt, a, a notoriously equable kind of guy, who never showed his emotions at all, would come in and hurl his No, but I, I was actually sat there watching that happen. So I saw so come what, on, what actually happened. Tell me what happened. Tell me what happened. So by the, the windows, first and foremost, a single pane glass, because it must be a listed building and the windows have to be single pane. So they're very thin and very flimsy glass windows in the first instance. But... Matt Pryor sat in the corner of the dressing room and in the corner of the dressing room, there's like a little cubby hole where people would put like keys, their keys, their wallet, their phone, things like that in this little cubby hole. But Matt Pryor liked to stand his bats up by that window when he was there to create more space because it was right in the corner of the dressing room. Um, so lined up against the window were all Matt Pryor's bats and Matt would have had six, seven, eight bats lined up in that corner question how far is the window down so is like is the bottom of the bat at window level or is there like a ledge above that the bottom of the bat would be at window level probably they have huge windows yeah. in the right. dressing room there okay um but yeah sort of behind the seat and looking out onto the pitch so um not like 
bifold door size window, but it's a fair size window. Um, and, and Matt walked in and he forcefully placed his bat back in that corner. He didn't throw it. There was no throwing. There was no like throwing toys out the pram because he's a guy who actually did love his kit. He wasn't a kit thrower. He'd always want his kit looking pristine. And he forcefully placed his bat into that corner. But as the bat like got placed into the corner, all the other bats that were lined up sort of jumbled about. And one of the bat handles went through the window. And then that pane of glass <laughs> sort of nearly impaled an MCC member. <laughs> it could have been this bad. Is, this is, I feel really bad now. I feel really, really bad. because No, I, you I, don't. I just always assumed he'd come in, tossed his gloves, and that we were gone thrown them in in rage and went oh shit <laughs> so window broke but that's how fact- that's how i remember it because i'm i was sat there watching but then he might have a different account of it someone else might have a, you know what it's like well, it's yeah. 12 years ago now that it happened but that that's the event as i remember it it was um, brilliant because it, it caused such a, a it caused such it a wasn't a come in and yeah, it wasn't a come in and th- com- like throw your kit all over the joint, and then all of a sudden somebody's thrown a glove through the window. Like that's that's um that's not what it was. Can you imagine? I mean, if that that could have been if that, that properly sliced some member below, that would have been a. Much it was a big th- piece of glass as well. Yeah, I remember window, seeing yeah. it missing from the window, and it was a big old chunk. It was funny though because the MCC members were like shouting up, and then it ended up with some of the players shouting back over the balcony to the MCC members. It was, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't ideal. But what would what would what would the repost be to the MCC members? Oh, oh, for fuck's sake! It's only a bit of flying glass. <laughs> <laughs> Just grow a pair. I mean, what, I, I think what it was along the lines of "fuck off." But yeah, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, if I was one of those people that's been waiting on the MCC waiting list for years, I would have no problems if you know if it had fatally killed someone i'd be thinking i'll tell you what i'm one step closer to getting my seat in there mm. i'd be encouraging that more often to be honest i'd be <laughs> i don't care how i get in there i just want my ticket but have you ever finny we've got guys at our cricket club and obviously it's a slightly different standard but i don't i think psychotic batsmen getting out is a universal it doesn't matter if you're playing in the shittest league ever or international cricket they're all psychos but we've got a few guys in my cricket club who go ballistic when they get out but what's even scarier is I'd say about one in 10 dismissals and the one where you think they're really going to go, they just walk in calmly and it just really froze me. Mm. Did you ever get that? You do sometimes, but generally, generally you know how guys are going to act or react by the way that they've got out. If they've just got a good ball, they sort of come in and they're a bit defeatist. But if they come in and and someone's run them out, (laughs) The, the funniest one I've seen actually was in Dubai. The dress rooms are humongous in Dubai, the, the big sports city stadium. And Jonathan Trott batting at three. He was he was batting um, with Andrew Strauss in 2012. That series where um, Rahman mm. and Saeed Ajmal got all yeah. the wickets because well, they produced spinning wickets and we couldn't play spin. Abdurrahman was about six. Abdurrahman, yeah, but he, yeah. he then he got done by um he got done by the drugs testers for smoking weed at Somerset, didn't he, Abdurrahman? Well, probably because he was sixty three and he thought it was time to just like calm cricket. down. Yeah, that's what CBD is into does, He should have gone yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, hopefully he's in Holland and Barrett right now, making up for lost time. So Jonathan Trot, sorry, Jonathan Trot. So Trot comes in and he's got he's he's got out LBW and he's gone to Strauss at the other end. What do you think, Straussy? 
is it hitting the stumps? And Strauss has gone, yes, definitely hitting the stumps. Don't review it. So Trot, we've seen that conversation happen. Trot's turned and walked back towards the pavilion. <laughs> and, and it's come up as he's walking off the replay, missing leg stump. <laughs> <laughs> so he's walked in. <laughs> he's walked in and because all the TVs in the dressing room, there's loads of them in Dubai. He walked down into like the big, massive like uh, basin that's the dressing room. And he stood there watching the TV and then they showed the replay again of it comes up and it goes impact in line wickets missing the stumps, not out. And he's just stood there and screamed, fuck you Strauss. (laughs) 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 And and I'm sat in the dressing room and I'm, I'm trying my hardest not to laugh because if you laugh in that scenario and he turns around and then he's on you. So you sort of just sat there, you get a pair of socks and stuff them in your gob and just try and look at the ground whilst, he, <laughs> whilst you gather your thoughts. But you knew the second that when he was walking off and you saw that it was missing the stumps, you knew there was going to be a big blow up. I knew well, that story that- was going to be good when it started with Jonathan Trott, but also <laughs> I love that. So now Strauss is just out there. He carries on batting. Now when Strauss no eventually comes back into the change room, does he, how long do you take to tell him this story? No, no, I, I, I'm not sure anyone did tell him to be honest, because he was the skipper. We, um, yeah, we just, we just, I think Trotty had calmed down by the time Strauss got in and because he was captain, Trotty would have gone, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We just made a mistake, but in those initial moments, Trotty was Trotty was an absolute beauty for um, <laughs> for for good reaction. Ali, Ali is it is Ali or isn't it with the three runouts at the um, yeah the non strike yeah. So so I don't know if you're able to do this, but to give us like the pathology of how the reaction went, because you know in my mind. The first time that happens, it's like, what oh, the fuck? You come back. Yeah, but is like, it unlucky? Is it unlucky? No, 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 we had no, this debate in no, the dressing room. It's no, it not isn't. unlucky. It, it is it isn't unlucky. But if you're the batter, like if you're talking about psycho batters and how they react to getting out, when you get out that way, and because and your job is to bat, it's like so fucking infuriating. The second time, I'd imagine, would be the one where you absolutely lose your shit. And the third time would be the one when you walk in with a blank-eyed stare of a psychotic killer. Because the third time it happens, that is you having a serious conversation about how much you both hate cricket and, if you've got any degree of self-honesty, yourself simultaneously. And that is a brutal conversation for any human being to be having, especially when it's about their professional living. So are you able to give us like an insight into how... How his three the three reactions. Well, I've just googled <laughs> I've just googled the five stages of grief, um, and I'd imagine that Ali or I think these will work quite well. Denial would have been definitely first. You know, yeah, batsmen always think they're unlucky when they run out backing up. Correct. The first time he'll be denial. Second time anger, that works yeah. quite well. Now he's got three choices after that. He can either go to bargaining, depression, or acceptance. I'm going that, depression. I'm going I'm depression. Going depression. I'm calling depression. <laughs> it probably was a bit depression. Yeah, I think he just walked in with slumped shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> three times run out backing up is an amazing effort. I mean, it'll be it'll be a pub quiz question one day. Well, a really sad pub quiz where it's only for cricket losers like us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Now, let's move on because, yes, that England national team, remember them? Bizarrely, I don't know why, I don't know what's been happening, but it's really, really strange. The England national team haven't played a single cricket match in the whole of August, you know, one of the peak summer months. I can't imagine what could possibly have got in the way of that. Don't but be they such are... a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Look, all right, I'm happy now. England are back. I'm fine. My beloved England are back playing cricket again. They have got... 4-2020s coming up against New Zealand, which we'll discuss this week and we'll focus on the ODI series coming up. We talked about this recently, but the big name that everyone's talking about is Harry Brook and how much form, how many runs can he score before the World Cup to force his way in? And it's a fascinating one because obviously Brook's in the squad. And Ben Duckett as well, who nobody's really talking about, but I mean, he's a man who could put his hand up at the last minute for this this World Cup as well with the way that he's played in the Red Bull stuff. Um but Finney, I, was, I guess it's, it's fascinating because there's two mentalities at the minute. There's Harry Brook, who knows basically he needs to absolutely hammer the door down before the World Cup. He has to make himself un-unselectable. There's probably a better word for that, but I'm sticking with un-unselectable. He needs to score so many runs that he has to be in the World Cup squad. And then you've got players like Jason Roy or Liam Livingston, who have basically got to score enough runs to cling on and Milan as well and cling on and keep their place in the side. So how different are those mentalities, Finney? How much is it harder or easier when are you, if, is it easier if you're Harry Brook and you know, you've just got a free roll? Yeah, way easier, way easier if you're Harry Brook, because there's no, there's no real pressure. You know that, well, and because he scored that 140 balls last week that the day after the squad's got announced, weren't they? So KP, that was a bit of a KP flex. That was the triple hundred. Wasn't it? No, it was on the oval against Leicester with a really short boundary. And he was dropped. I was there and he was dropped seven times. Um, (laughs) And Matt, Matt Dunn made one out of a partnership about 98 at the other end. And he's a great man, Matt Dunn. Uh, And the greatest, the greatest service he ever did was to ensure that he got out 
and KP was only two runs short of the Surrey all-time record set by Bobby Abel of three five seven. He was on three five five, and Matt Dunn lasted for long enough to take KP to immortality. <laughs> they got out. <laughs> well, was... Matt, Matt Dunn was Great, my yeah. opening bowling partner at Surrey under sixteens. We've had similar careers since then. You know, he's partnering. Kevin Peterson in in that innings, and I'm playing in Surrey Division Two. So similar, similar vibes. Yeah, I guess in your career, Finney, you've been in both positions. You've been the bowler trying to burst into the team, and you've been the bowler looking over your shoulder at you know guys who are bowling well and stuff. And I guess it must be much easier, as you say, doing the Harry Brook one and just go out there and give it your best shot. Especially as he's not in the squad anyway; he's got nothing to lose basically. Well, it's a much easier, well, not easier, but it's a much better mindset to to play cricket in is when you're striving for something and when you're when you're the one trying to put pressure on other people if you're feeling the pressure of other people I mean some guys thrive off it and some guys love playing cricket like that and I wasn't one of those I was the sort of person who enjoyed being comfortable and feeling settled in a team and certainly this this series even though it might feel like a um, small series within the context of things with a lot of changes to the squad um People are very much playing for those World Cup places still. There's still a chance for the selectors to change the squad. We saw Joffre Archer come in on the eve of the last World Cup for David Willey in 2019. So we know that England aren't scared of making big calls or big changes like that. And this has sort of got a feeling of something similar, of Harry Brook just forcing his way in through, well, through the player that he is, but also by putting pressure on those players that are currently in the squad. Well, last week we talked about it and said, well, inevitably he will get picked. This isn't a World Cup squad. And Josh Butler reiterated that it wasn't a World Cup squad that had been picked for the ODIs, but was an interim squad. And the door was still open to Harry Brook, which is, is we, we thought that was obvious, didn't we? And other podcasts have talked about it. Mark Butcher has talked about it on, on the Wisdom podcast. Lots, lots, I think it was talked about in the final word. Nobody could quite believe that Harry Brook isn't going to get selected. So the question then does become, as you say, Toby, who is not going to get selected? And you put three in the firing line there. The thing about Livingston is that he gives them the spin all-rounder batter option in India. So he's a little bit different from Roy and Milan, but similar. So I just put to you some scenarios in the ODIs that Bairstow gets out early, let's say, you know, just, just you know, play a flashing shot, get caught behind. And then you've got Roy and Milan batting together. And they kind of know <laughs> what the situation is. Now, of course, I'm sure they wouldn't do this, but the, the temptation to run one or the other out and not make it look like you would be huge. And Livingston would also be moderately aware of this himself because he's he's not immune just because he bowls spin. So watching those three, while Brooke doesn't have to play, he doesn't have to play in any of those games. He can just watch this dance of death take place between three crucial batters in the top five. Uh, you know, because Bairstow and Root and Butler. But the thing is, you, su- you suss things like that. That's the, the 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 thing is with this, with it from within a dressing room, and when you're picking a squad for a World Cup or something, you want selfless people in there. So someone grinding out 125 ball 100 in an ODI isn't going to get them selected through weight of runs necessarily for that World Cup. It's going to be... It's tricky to drop them though, isn't it? If they if they come out of there with two centuries, yeah, it is, a, but it's a, a 70 Cup. and a 20. 
Yeah, it's a it's a World Cup, and and Josh Butler will be adamant that he wants the people with the correct attitude to go over and play in India and play in a World Cup, and not selfish people who who are just looking to get a score on the board for themselves. And and it's very obvious when someone's doing that within a team, and you can all sense it. So yeah, so it, the the thing, the challenge for those guys who are maybe under that bit of pressure. The challenge is going to be to try and keep that team-focused mindset whilst knowing that it's important that you score runs, but you have to score those runs in the right manner. And you have to be around the team, the correct personality or or the best version of yourself. Because again, if you're a bit under pressure and moping around and, and you're not quite yourself in the dressing room and people are picking up on that, um, that's something as well that can count against you when it comes to selection. Yeah, it's it's such a bizarre one that because there is inevitably rivalry within teammates, which is also which sounds a bit bizarre because your job is to win games against other teams. But within a team, there's also people aren't idiots. They know which place they could take and they know which places they can't take. And I mean, you mentioned the um, the dropping Archer for Willie decision, but also more recently bringing Hales in out the cold because ultimately, as you say, it's a World Cup. The selectors will go. There'll be no room for emotion eventually with this team selection. It will be whichever team they think is the best chance, gives them the best chance of winning this tournament, be the one that gets selected. And we've mentioned KP already, but it reminds me a little bit what Harry Brook needs to do essentially when KP went to South Africa in that white ball series and scored all those ODI runs so much that he had to be picked for the 2005 Ashes. So it's going to be fascinating. And um, I mean, it's a nice position. Josh Butler said it in the press conference earlier. As a captain, it's great. You'd rather you've got far too many blokes vying for the places than wondering where you're going to find a few batsmen from. So the strength and depth for the England White Bull team at the minute is um, is fascinating. And it makes it also adds a little edge to this series. One overall thing I would say is, so we've got a T20 series against New Zealand. Great. Um, and some ODIs against them as well. Great. They're a great White Bull team. And then it's the ODI series against Ireland. Now, without disrespecting Ireland too much, is it the ideal preparation that we're playing loads of white ball cricket against New Zealand and Ireland before then heading over to India, where the World Cup starts very, very shortly after? Is that the ideal preparation, Finney? Um, yeah, you want the team to be together, don't you? I think you and you want to be in the rhythm of playing games and winning games. I think that that counts a lot when you're going into a tournament. There's not been any England white ball cricket for a long time. I think this summer at all. The last time would be that trip to Bangladesh, wouldn't it? Before the season started, I think, before the English season started. So, yeah, it's going to be valuable time to get the team together, to click, to reacquaint yourself with the team's plans and the way that they want to go about playing. And, yeah, expect people to get opportunities through this series. But I'd imagine by the time that you get to the back end of this month of cricket, um, you're going to start seeing what will probably be that first team lineup in um, in the World Cup. But are they going to learn a lot from playing Ireland at Bristol? Is that going to prepare them for New Zealand in Ahmedabad about a week afterwards? Or well, it's it... still cricket and it's still winning games. And I think that, that that does prepare you well. Yeah, they're going to have to adjust to conditions quickly when they get over there because it's a pretty short turnaround from the end of the series to um, to that first game in the World Cup on, I think it's the 5th of October, isn't it? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think look, they, there could be stiffer challenges, that's for sure. And there were questions raised about before the Ashes, wasn't it, about whether England's test match against Ireland was ample preparation compared to Australia's test against India. Um, and I think that that probably did count against England a bit in those first couple of test matches. But 
as long as in a World Cup, if you're peaking at the correct time, um, I don't think it matters too much. Would you say, for example, so even though in England you wouldn't necessarily play free spinners in your white ball team, do you think they should just play, they need to play their first 11 for that first World Cup game and ignore the conditions in a way? Not necessarily. I also think it's drier here than you think in September. People think that September's a dry month, but um, sorry, that September's a really wet month. I'm not sure it is. So they could even be asking the groundsmen to prepare turning wickets. They could ask them to play on used wickets to have people practicing and stuff in the in the build up to them. So there are ways around that, but I think they'll play the conditions put in front of them to win those internationals to give people opportunities. But I wouldn't be surprised if in that latter part of um, this month of white ball cricket that we see that we see them playing on used turny sort of wickets to prepare them a bit better. I think the bigger problem is really about how much preparation they've had playing 50 over cricket. In the build-up to the 2019 World Cup, England played a record number of one-day internationals. It was over 70, I believe, in the four years between 2015 and 2019. And it was a really massive part of our calendar. I just remember doing loads and loads of one-day internationals. And that's how Andy Zaltzman became scorer. You know, he was a scorer for the one-day internationals. And then it culminated in a World Cup win. And I think this last four years, they've played something like half as many one-day internationals. There's no 50-over competition that really any of these players would have played in. P- possibly, I don't know, I haven't checked the stats, but it's, it's perfectly possible that they've played none. <laughs> no domestic 50-over cricket. So actually reacquainting yourself with the rhythm of the game is going to be interesting to me. And I suppose that's a challenge that almost every country has got, apart from India, who have scheduled for themselves a similar number of one ODIs that England did the last time. So they played a lot and they've got the Asia Cup coming up. So their preparation is obviously going to be better insofar as they will have played 50 over cricket. What, Finney, I, I don't understand now about the modern cricketer is how important is it for them to play 50 over cricket when they've been playing shitloads of 20 over cricket? Is that is that an easy, easily adaptable thing to a different format? Because you're going no, no way. quite as mental, are you? I mean, far from it. No, and, and understanding that you do have more time than you think in the 50-over format to build in innings. I mean, I I hadn't played a 50-over game. I mean, well, I barely played one this year, but I hadn't played a 50-over game since 2019. And then I'd have played my first lot this year if I'd have stayed fit and not had to retire. So, yeah, the, there is a lack of that type of cricket. And and yes, the 50-over the format is increasingly becoming more like T20 and you do adapt quicker than you think. And when you're a world-class player, your ability to adapt is is a lot better than other people. That's why you're a, a world-class cricketer and playing international cricket. But certainly the the game plan and, and the way that they want to approach it, I think they're going to have to get reacquainted with pretty quickly because that lack of cricket is um, is a little bit of a problem. That lack of 50 over cricket is a bit of a problem. And not just batsmen, but what about bowlers as well? I mean, our, our success... That it's last a long time cut, in the field. Jesus. Yeah, it feels it now compared to T20 cricket. And you look at our success um, in 2019, and, you know, Chris Wokes almost opened with really traditional line and length swing bowling with a couple of slips in position, which you don't see too much of that in T20 for very long. No, and, and yeah, you're right. The The like the different caveats of the game are, are going to be hard to adjust to and difficult to adjust to. But 
Yeah, I, I do think the fact that these guys are international class cricketers counts for a lot and their ability to adapt will be will be good. But physically, it's a much, much different game to T20 and it's a lot more challenging. I know the One Day Cup is light years away from the World Cup, but in terms of you know the quality of the players who are playing in it, the Metro Bank One Day Cup. But what was really interesting just watching and commentating was that in the power play of 10 overs, time after time, um, players bowl uh, captains use the same two bowlers and maybe made one change for, for the 10th over of the power play it's a totally different rhythm the 50 over power play and it is in ODIs as well I mean that's why Wokes is so important because he has don't forget this new ball at each end and his ability to take wickets in the power play was second to none he, he took most in that in that build up to 2019 and, and after it the next two years after it He's the most potent bowler in the world in the power play. And you actually did slightly a bit more weirdly test matchy. Those first 10 overs, um, you do sort of attack, actually. And and the batting side doesn't go hell for leather. And I, I sort of wonder what will happen the next phase of ODI. Is it that actually teams try and target 90 or 100 in the first 10 overs just to change that rhythm? Because at the moment, there is a bit of an easy rhythm in 50-over cricket power play. And you see it mirrored, you know, watching all these ODIs. You see, but you know, you can watch a six-over power play in T20 and you can see four bowlers used. That's not remotely unusual. In a 10-over power play in 50-over cricket, it's quite rare to see a bowling change before at least seven overs. Yeah, yeah, yeah certainly a more traditional game. And I think that because of the extra time in the game teams are a little bit worried about losing too many wickets early and certainly when you're bowling with the new ball you see it as a chance of getting ahead of the game and stunting the team's progress and and trying to make sure that they don't have seven wickets in hand going into those last 20 overs when I played ODIs which is now a long time ago we'd always want the opposition at least five down by the 35th over and that's what we targeted five wickets by 35 and you're bowling at the lower order in the back end of the innings, which is a huge help. So, yeah, but it's one of those tactical nuances that make 50-over cricket quite interesting, but with a modern person's attention span and the amount of T20 cricket that's being played at the moment, it just makes 50-overs seem like a bloody long time. (laughs) Players are so used to playing T20 cricket now with five people out, and we think about how awful it is to have to bring one of those players in if you mess up the time, yeah? So if you mess up your time situation, we'll come on to that later about Sunil Narayan, but if you mess up your time, you have to bring somebody in. Four players inside suddenly makes it really difficult for a bowler. You've talked about this, Vinny, and how that radically alters your position. Yeah, now, you feel naked. Exactly, you feel naked. Now, in 50-over cricket, you are naked between the 11th over and the 40th over. Those have been the rules is, for a while, though. Yeah, they, well, they have. But what I'm, what I'm asking is, are we going to start to see, let's say sides really get a, a good platform and they're 25 overs in and they're one down, maybe two down thinking, hang on a minute, we've got 15 overs with only four out here. I we think we're seeing that already. Here, make hate here at this point, like the, the, the last 10 overs get easier for the bowling side in theory. So do you know what I mean? Like really piling pressure on. Yeah, I do. But I think England played like that. In the last World Cup, and I think in in the interim they have done as well, I think teams aren't scared of losing wickets anymore because 
Also, you look at England's team and quite often you've got someone like Chris Wokes and Adil Rashid batting 10 and 11, which is just ridiculous because they are proper batters. So um, having those all-rounders through the lower and middle order allows you the flexibility to be able to go after those middle overs a lot more. So I anticipate seeing high scores. The only reason that we won't see high scores is if we get stoppy, turny sort of pitches where it's very hard to clear the ropes. But... I think if we get good surfaces and with the size of the grounds in India being on the smaller side, I anticipate seeing some monster scores in this World Cup because it's so, so difficult to protect all sides of the ground now that guys can hit it 360 degrees almost at will. I think that that's why that the scores in over as time has passed, I think those scores have increased and, and that's the reason why. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the Asia Cup because that gets underway. And this Saturday is Pakistan versus India, which is still basically the most watched sporting event on the planet. And that's <laughs> going to be very tasty in the in the build-up ahead of a World Cup in India as well. And it's going to be fascinating watching those teams, actually, and those conditions ahead of the World Cup. So that's going to be fascinating. Uh, but also... But, the English- just, just, a quick, just a quick point on that. You know, people, t- people talk, just like nail this one thing now that sport and politics don't mix. They obviously do mix. Because one of the single most lucrative fixtures that a game like cricket could reproduce over and over and over again and would have millions and millions and millions of people interacting with India v Pakistan hardly ever happens because of politics. So <laughs> the next person who tells me that sport and politics don't mix is is, is going to be, I don't know, um, looked at with extreme contempt. It is uh, the numbers are, though, are pretty insane. I mean, to put it in perspective, it's normally on average something like four times the amount of people that watch the Super Bowl every year watches an India versus Pakistan game. So, I mean, it is it is absolutely insane. And in a sport and in a society that is entirely run by money, for them to say no to all that money all the time is quite impressive. So it shows how much politics is involved in that. Um, but also the England women have got their own series coming up as well. And uh, Daniel, this is a rare moment where I I bow down to your genius because yes. your favourite cricketer, who you've been banging on about for years and years, is Ooh. in the squad. She made her international debut at 12 years old. 12 years old. That is not me being an idiot. 12 years old for the United Arab Emirates. Tell us about your favourite cricketer in the world, Daniel. To meet a Mahika, she is uh, a most magnificent prospect. Um, she's people say she's six foot two she's not six foot two i'm six two Colo's six three and she's slightly taller than him so she's about adam collins so this so she's around nearish to six foot four left armor um she hits great lengths uh, she has a little bit of swing back into the right hander i mean it's coming she's only 17 she started out with the uae you're absolutely right she was born in england spent the first eight years in england then went out to the uae her, her dad was working out there um Played for them unbelievably early. I first met her at the Fairbreak tournament in Hong Kong in April, and we were in the same bus coming back, coming from the airport to the hotel on the first night. And she was really sort of demure and gentle playing. And then she found out, you know, I was a commentator. She said, uh, "Ah, um, I'm Mahika. I'm a fast bowler." And we got talking, and she essentially was saying, "I just want you." to say that I've done well in this tournament. I wanted to watch and say that I've done well. That's my, that would be my goal. Um, and she didn't just do well. She bowled three overs in the power play of virtually every game to international class opening batters every time. It was a Deandra Dottin. She bounced out. Um, uh, Lauren Winfield Hill, Danny Wyatt, Sophia Dunkley. 
you know, the proper best, some of the best players in women's cricket. She had the highest dot ball percentage. She was ridiculous. And watching her, I just thought, hang on. she She's going to be playing for England within 18 months. And there were some coaches out there at the Fairbreak tournament, one of whom is an England coach, and he obviously couldn't fail to notice and got talking one night. It's like, my God, you know, she really is the real deal. And from this person that no one had ever heard of in April to making her international debut in September is absolutely fantastic. Part of that is tournaments like Fairbreak. You know, it is having these... um, these T20 tournaments that we decry so much of the time when we talk about men's cricket because we feel there's a proliferation of them. But actually in women's cricket, there aren't that many. There's a big bash. There's the 100, which is why the 100 is so important to me in so many ways. Um, and there is now the Women's Premier League in India. But there aren't that many. So fair breaks are really important showcase for people who otherwise would not have been found out about, wouldn't have been known. And um, I guess... It doesn't take a genius to think six foot four inch woman who can actually land it and has a little bit of swing back into the pads with the new ball to the right hander, has great control of line and length and a high dot ball percentage, will probably play for England. But it is enormously gratifying to have been able to see her when she was a total unknown and now have a hundred gig and be playing for England. And I'm not sure she's eighteen yet. He's seventeen still. She's still 17, right? It's absolutely She's got ridiculous. five years of international cricket under her belt. <laughs> She's 17. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, in fairness, you know, I mean, the UAE are actually a pretty decent side. There's a there's a couple of very good players coming out of the UAE, but she won't have faced the very best. And then then she did, and then she, she held up. So I just hope that she has a great tournament. She had a pretty good 100. She didn't pull up trees. She had a good 100, I'd say. Finney, you, you probably saw her a few times. Yeah, I was impressed with her. I think she had good control, good swing. Is obviously tall, and because she's young, she'll probably end up getting quicker and hitting the track even harder. And I think that one of the things that is hardest for for the women to face in the women's game are people who get bounce and hit the splice at the bat. And we saw how important pace was with the way that Lauren Filer bowled and Lauren Bell bowled through the ashes. So, yeah, I think having someone like that at your disposal and the fact that she's left arm, I think she's going to be so valuable. And, and I've been impressed with what I've seen so far. Lauren Bell also, by the way, just while we're on the topic, absolutely hoops it. She swings it in so far. It's so good to watch. Uh, well, like I say, it's so exciting because after, you know, a month where there was this other tournament happening, some, you know, that some people got quite into, okay, it was quite good. I quite enjoyed it, but it's so nice because there's England men, England women, there's the Asia cup, there's Australia, South Africa. There's so much cricket happening over the next few days. And you can tell losers like me are excited about it. And the final thing I want to talk about, because my Chinese is here is that for the first time ever, a cricketer was shown a red card in the Caribbean premier league. Sunil Narayan was sent off. And it's proper, like in football, the umpire produces a red card and sends him off because of slow over rate. And I rate it. And it's basically, you get plenty of warnings. You have to have bowled your overs by certain times and they punish you by taking fielders and putting them back in the ring and blah, 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 blah. And then eventually the ultimate one is that they send off a player. But the thing I love about it is the captain gets to choose who gets sent off. So basically he's looked at Sun Orderan and gone, well, you're shit, mate. You're the worst fielder in the team. Get out of here. What an insulting way to find out your captain thinks you're the shittest fielder in the team, Finney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, 
because I didn't I didn't know what it done. I thought you had to dissent the umpire to get sent off in cricket. I thought they bought that in a little while ago. Yeah, I I mean, part of me thinks that Sun and Ryan would be quite happy that he got sent yeah. off there. To be honest, as long as he bowled his overs, <laughs> yeah. I mean, see it's, you later. It's what, I don't have to field. It's brilliant. It's <laughs> what it's what any bowlers like, like you know, looking imploringly at the skipper. Come on, me, yeah, me, pick yeah. me. <laughs> Look, I'm really slow. You know, yeah. and I've been getting on for a while now. I mean, Sun and Ryan's about ninety, for heaven's sake. You know, getting three overs off is lovely. Uh, but the other thing is, what the, what I really loved is is the detail, which you didn't properly go into for me, Tobes, because it's, I know it's a bit process-driven, but my irritation with the you can bring one player in is that if you've not bowled your 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 balls, let's say it's 100, and you've bowled your balls so slowly that after 85 balls you get someone come in. I think the Oval Invincibles did do one so bad, it was like 92 balls or something. Someone had to come in. Then it just stays like that. And then you can go as slowly as you like for the next 12 balls. Whereas what the Caribbean Premier League has done is go, you've got to have bowled the 17th over by this stage. Right? Yes. And if that, and if you haven't, then we, we bring someone in. Then you've got to bowl the 18th over by this stage. And we're not taking any allowance of that. It's still just four, four and a bit minutes later. So if you're sort of three minutes over time, you're fucked. So they bring another one in. And then yes. they bring another one in. And so it, it gets to the point when I think there are only like three allowed outs and... You get someone sent off. <laughs> I like it. I like it. It's absolutely superb. If I was a batsman, and if they brought this in the test matches and I was a batsman, first over of the day, I'd be dragging my heels in between overs. And then you could probably get sent off within about 20 minutes. You get a day off, rest your feet up, come back tomorrow. <laughs> we were talking earlier about people being selfish in the team. I definitely mm. don't think I'd have lasted long at international cricket for a number of reasons. But that's one of them. <laughs> Uh, right, well, chaps, it's been lovely to see you. It's lovely there's international cricket back. Well, you're putting your finger up. You know I've got yeah. a Chinese to get to. Yeah, I do. You? I do. I've got one last thing to say, and it's uh, and, and this is educational, really. You go and have your Chinese if you like, but I went to Sussex because I'm a commentator that never stops looking for inspiration and um, and, and knowledge of, of our past. And I went to Sheffield Park, and I don't suppose you even know who Lord Sheffield is, do you? Uh, I don't think I do. No, I'm well, he, he was responsible for most of the tours that went to Australia before the MCC took them over in the late 1890s, 1899. Uh, yes. I oh, yeah, rings a bell now. Yeah, thank and you, um, yeah. and uh, he also used to host the uh, the annual fixture. Well, not the annual, the, the fixture with the tourists that would come in. Australia came over, and um, in that, it was the last one that was ever done. 1896, 25,000 people in basically a country estate. Watching WG Grace play against the Australians, among others. WG Grace, very old by then. And beautifully, the bowling for Lord Sheffield's 11 was opened by Arthur Mould, which is a beautiful name. I think you can agree. And Dick Puffer. <laughs> Sorry, that was childish. Childish how much I laughed at that. <laughs> I did it just for you. Go and have your Chinese. You know, that was worth my Chinese getting cold for that. I, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let my Chinese get cold for Dick Puffer anytime. So, <laughs> uh, on that cheery note, lads, I'll see you next week and enjoy the return of international cricket in the meantime. <laughs> I can't wait. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.